Now, the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. Good morning and welcome to the Thursday game day edition of the program. The UH men's basketball team on the road, I think, which will be a real challenge to play UC Davis. Uh, they had handled UC Davis very easily in this uh, last one. and uh, But that's, I think... I think that's unlikely to happen again. Uh, I just think that, that this is their final home game, and they've got really good players like Elijah Pepper, for example. He could be the conference player of the year, probably will be. And I think that that's, uh, that's going to be a formidable challenge. But I don't think it's impossible because they've not played as well as a team in the last couple weeks as they had prior. So I think that's a gettable game. But we'll see. It's going to require a tremendous effort on the part of the Rainbow Warriors. But they've been making those kinds of efforts. So those are uh, that's that seems reasonable to me. Let's. Uh, no, I want to mention uh, congratulations to the uh, UH baseball team because after a really slow start, I mean that game was one-one. I don't know deep. It seemed like, and fourth or fifth inning, something like that. And I look at the, I wake up. I didn't wake. You know, I stayed. Didn't stay up for that. Um, I was busy, and then I went to bed. I was tired, and I wake up and I see it's fifteen to two. It was a rout. But I have to say, you know what that makes me think? It makes me think, what what could Hawaii have done if they'd gotten the final inning of that game? And I still haven't heard a good explanation for that. Why did we not know? that it was going to be scheduled for eight innings or or four o'clock or whatever came first. I, I'm not getting I'm still not really understanding that. But um, it makes me think that this is this team never gives up. It has had some great late uh, games and it could have won that game, I think, against North Carolina State on Sunday. I mean I'm not I'm just saying. I mean, that's baseball's meant to be played nine innings. So I understand why sometimes that can't happen for logistical reasons, but you'd like to know in advance at least. Uh, what I don't even know is if the players understood it. Did they know? The players knew? So that's what uh, Tanner's – he's shaking his head. He can't see me, but I can see him. So head shaking is really the only the – only, uh, vehicle I have here. But in any case, uh, players, I guess, knew, but nobody in the stands knew, that's for sure. I mean, that that was pretty obvious. Uh, go ahead if you have something. Uh, right now, 296-1420. We're going to have a lot of things to talk about today. And uh, I, I just think it's quite interesting uh, that the some of the things you think will happen don't happen in college sports. For example, I had thought the, I thought that uh, the Laura Beeman bash, the Beeman big bash, I thought that would, could be a sellout. I was wrong on that. They, they got about half, and uh, which was about what Hawaii got, the men, men got. 
So, which was interesting. And that wasn't anything special. And I said to Iran, I called the coach, are you going to do anything special? Are you going to try to do, get a big crowd? Or He says, well, it's going to be a whiteout. I was like, yeah, come on. Whiteouts are pretty routine at this point. Uh, it's fine. You know, it kind of has an ethereal look to it. I like it. But I don't, that's not enough. When you're talking about a senior night, I think you could do better than that. That's just what I'm saying. And let's get let's, let's get Captain Fun on this and see if we can get put him to work. Okay, let's get, I want to get to this, what appears to be mm, well, uh, problematic right now. Now, I don't have any doubt that it's not Mike McDaniel that who is hold is the holdup on the tour extension. It's it's really the, his real contract because he's been on the rookie deal until now. I just think Tua has earned, a, you know, the going rate. To me, that's let, let's face it. What's the going rate for a guy that puts up his numbers? Forty million a year? Fifty? I mean, that's it's out of hand. Now we know that, but but I think he's certainly worth what some of these, uh, at least what these other guys are worth. And I, you know, I don't know. I, I'm just trying to think. Now, it was Joe Burrow was one. Tua, I think, was the second quarterback taken in that year. And the guy after Tua was Justin Herbert, who everybody was saying, oh, my God, they should have taken Justin Herbert. Doesn't look like that right now. I mean, maybe it will when Harbaugh gets in there. But I would not say Justin Herbert had a better year than Tua did last year. I don't know how you say I don't know how you get to that. But it certainly isn't uh on statistically. So I would say Tua should be get this should not be a big issue. This should not take forever. Tua should get the Tua is a pretty mellow guy. He's not going to get himself twisted. I think Tua knows there's going to be a place for him to play next year. There's not any doubt about that. He's he's just way too good not to be is for someone to want him. And if is if there's some holdup, and it doesn't appear to be the head coach that doesn't want him, so you'd have to think that if there is a is a if there's reticence, it's somewhere between the owner and the general manager Chris Greer. I would say, but I don't know why he's not signed yet. It seems to me that this should be able to get done. Unless, I mean, may, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe two his people are asking for the moon. But I didn't, I've never gotten that impression in any discussions that have been made public. It, it's always like, mm, are they going to pay two and then they'll be stuck with him for five years? No, I don't think of it that way, frankly. I think two is way better than that. And you you can win a Super Bowl with two, I think. So I think you're going to have to stay healthy uh, or relatively healthy. I don't think anyone's completely healthy at the end of a year, but they weren't close to healthy enough last year. So I think I mean, that defensive, the line, the pass rush just went to hell in a handbasket with the injuries. So I just think that that could happen. And I hope it does, that that they get super healthy and 
can make that deep run this year? Because as much as everybody talks about how great, you know, some of this uh, AFC is, ah, hold on, slow roll that, because there's some underachievers there. And I'm going to put the Buffalo Bills as one of them. They just don't seem to win big games. I think that's got to be fixed before anyone gets to whoop whoop about uh, the Buffalo Bills. I just think that has to change. It's 11 minutes past 6 o'clock. If you have something you want to chat about, go ahead and give us a jingle, uh, 808-296-1420. We're going to talk. We haven't, because there's rules around here about how often you can have a guest, I never seem to be able to get Tiff Wells, which is, uh, you know, Charlie Wade's play-by-play guy. And I really wanted to have him, so I made sure I got him for today. I called him today. I didn't wait because if I've waited till after the show, Gary would already have him for tomorrow. So I said, all right, it's going to be me once in a while. And uh, Tiff said, yeah, I'm, I'm available right now. So I, uh, we arranged to have him, and he'll be on with us in just a few minutes. And we're going to discuss something that may make some people a little uncomfortable. That We're going to discuss the schedule for the Rainbow Men. Because they are, they after having played, what was Missouri S&T, I think, and swept them as, as was expected. They're now playing a team called Sacred Heart. Uh, I'm trying to remember where it's from. It's not, it's not the Connecticut one, though. But it's another relatively unknown uh, team that you would think would be grist for Hawaii's mill. And is it necessary to play so many? Now, I understand Charlie's argument. He said, you have to grow the game, and the way you grow the game is to let these teams see what it's like, to see what championship-level volleyball is. I get that. But on the other hand, what does that do to your, your attendance and your, the excitement on your fan base? Okay, it's great, and I think a, a match or two each year that does this, accomplishes this, probably probably pretty good idea. But I I think you want to – why should Hawaii bear the entire brunt of growing the game? I, I just think they, there's got to be a meeting of the minds between some of the top teams that other people need to jump in on this. Yeah, Hawaii's willing to do its part, but why does it have to do your part too? and growing the game. Let's do this. Let's take a quick time out. We'll be right back on the Bobby Curran Show, ESPN, Honolulu. Welcome back on this Thursday edition of the program. And uh, tomorrow, there'll be the first of two volleyball matches this weekend. Both are against a relatively unknown opponent in Sacred Heart. One Friday, one Sunday. And uh, Tiff Wells is the play -by veteran play-by-play -play voice. Now you can say that, veteran. But he's joining us uh, to talk a little uh, UH men's volleyball. Hey, Tiff, how are you? I'm good, Bobby. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm good. I wanted to. I got rained on a little this morning. And it, was, it only started right when I, I parked the car, walked out on the street, and it started. 
And oh, it was no. it rained about I don't know, it didn't it seemed to have slowed down by the time I got in the building, but I was already kind of soaked. Anyway, so it goes. Unfortunately, that's how it works. <laughs> yes, it does work that way, I've noticed. Let me get to this, Tiff, because I know a lot of people, they ask me about it, and I always say, i got to get Tiff on the line and ask him. So apparently, <laughs> Charlie has taken undertaken the responsibility to grow the game by giving mm-hmm. children of lesser gods a chance to play, come to Hawaii and play, which many of them seem to leap on. And uh, But they're not terribly competitive matches usually. And so uh, what I wonder is, doesn't anybody else in volleyball seem to the need to share the burden with that? I, you know, it, that's a good question. And I think it always comes down to scheduling. And, and I think for some of these elite teams, you look at a Hawaii, you look at a UCLA, uh, you, could, you could throw in an Irvine, throw in a Long Beach as well. Um, I think for what these teams are doing, I, I understand that they're not named teams, they're not ranked teams, but I also think, and I've and I believed in the phrase, you know, for the last for the last decade or so, if that if you don't allow these teams opportunities to play the named teams that we just mentioned with Hawaii and Long Beach and, and Irvine and whatnot, that in UCLA, then these teams won't have an opportunity to continue their development in in the growth of the sport. I mean, you look at what what has happened the last five six years, where you've added you've added two new you've added two men's volleyball conferences that are Division One. You look at the Big West, you, know, you look at the NEC, and you've developed these other programs that you've now you have close to you have close to sixty NCAA Division One Division Two teams. That has allowed the growth of the sport for the Final Four to go from four to eight this year. And I and you look at 2018, where Hawaii possibly could have utilized an extra large bid, didn't happen. And you also look more so at 2021, where Hawaii lost in the conference tournament, needed an at large bid to make the NCAA tournament, where they would win one of their first of two consecutive national championships. So I'm, and I understand that it's it's a it's a situation where you want to see a BYU, you want to see UCLA, you want to see a Penn State Ohio every single year, but you also need to throw in some of these other teams to help grow your schedule, but also allow some of your other guys opportunities to play. Well, I think that's that, that's one of the benefits because Charlie has always had more good players than he's had space on the court. So I think that probably that's one way to get some uh, as he always says, it's not depth if you don't use it. So I do think that accomplishes one goal. But it does seem like if you get back-to-backs, sort of, of these children of lesser gods, I just think at some point, when does the fan interest slow down? I mean, when do people start to take you know matches off because they're like, I think I could take a pass on this one. It, and, and again, that's 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 kind of the risk you take that you take with with how you know at least for the month of for the month of February it looks at when you look at you know Sacred Heart coming in. Of course, yeah, they're coming in. You know, first week of March, you throw in a Missouri SNC and also a Tusculum, and, and those are those were four of your six matches at home. And of course, you had the you know no, then number five Stanford come in for, for a week. But I think for what this program has done for the last decade or so, they've deserved and they've earned the time of the people, of the season ticket holders and the casual fans to come on down for a couple of hours on, on a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, 
Saturday or what what have you it is on the schedule. And I and I think for what what he has been able to do, yes, you're playing these other teams, if you will, you still look at the box score and you're still getting 34, 3,500 people per night on a Wednesday against a team like an Emmanuel, against a team like the Missouri s and team. Yeah, you're going up against baseball this week at home and it remains to be seen what happens, you know, in terms of, of the, the, the turnstile coming in for, for both Friday and Sunday. But I think for what Hoy has been able to do is establish themselves as a top-tier and elite program. They have earned the right to say that we deserve your time no matter who the opponent is, and they continue to outdraw everybody in the nation year in and year out. Yeah, no, I, I get that. That's the other side of it. And no one can complain about men's volleyball attendance. I mean, it's, it's right now, it is terrific. Let's get, to the, uh, let's get to some of the meat of this. How, how good is this Hawaii team in your mind at this point? I mean, there's, there's still some things to work on. In the, and, yeah, there's been some things that, you know, you, you can nitpick on. Yeah, the offense has been very well. And, and of course, you knew with, with Bill Sockis and, and Chaz Galloway returning, Guillermo Voss as well, you had a lot of offense returning. But the guy that would be running that offense was still a big question mark. And, and I think for what Trent Rosenthal has done, one of the top servers, one of the top assist, uh, top setters in the country – I think he's been able to run the offense as well as he can be doing so. I mean, he's, he's, shoot, he's only a 17-year-old. He's supposed to be a senior in high school, and he's only going to get better in time. And I think for what uh, Hawaii's been able to do with, with bringing in a Kevin Calling, the grad transfer from Lewis, to have him be kind of that other experienced setter, be working with Tread here and, and you know, week in and week out, I think it, it has only helped the development of Tread, but I also think it speaks to the growth and the experience of, of a Kevin Calling because you bring in you bring in a guy that has been running an offense. He's been an All American multi times. He's been one of the top players in his conference in the MIVA. He's been able to help Tread with his development and growth. And I think through the first six, seven, eight weeks of the season You've seen Tread get a little bit better with his location, get a little bit better with his decision making, and, and the spin serving has has been has been phenomenal. I mean, you look at him; he's been he's been a float server. He has not he has, he wasn't a spin server coming into Hawaii. He's always been just a guy to get him in play from the junior ranks to the youth national team, what have you. But I think Hawaii's been able to do quite well, and they're they're right there in any order you want with with the Grand Canyon, with the UCLA, uh, with, with, an, with the UC Irvine, Long Beach, Ohio State, in any order you want, Hawaii is right there. Well, that's, that's the name of the game, is to be as good as you can be. And it certainly seems, I, I may be crazy, but I, when I've watched, Tred Rosenthal seems like he is about as good as it gets uh, for his age. He might be the best freshman setter I've ever seen. You, you can certainly make a case for that. And I think when Hawaii was able to bring him in a year early and there were, there were, there were some thoughts as what you were going to do because you had two very capable setters. But I think for when you have a guy that reclassifies and, and, we, and we see, we've seen this with men's volleyball this year and you're going to see it again next year with a couple of guys that are reclassifying, that it's very tough 
to hold these guys back and redshirt them a year just because of, you know, they have the talent to be on the floor. And I think for a guy like Tred Rosenthal, for what he's been able to do, it has it has really been something to see a young setter really develop and just get better in the first six, seven, eight weeks of the season. And there is the the ceiling for him is through the roof. It, it's it's really been fun watching him play so far this season. And when head coach Charlie Wade mentioned that we're going to get the, youth, the, the the junior national team starting setter, uh, that opened up a lot of eyes. And then you hear him reclassifying. He's in the arena. And you look at that first night of the season, you had over 4,000 people on a Wednesday. Yeah, it was against Loyola, top 10 team in the country at the time. A lot of people were very interested to see how he was going to do. And he's only gotten better with time. And he will continue to get better throughout this season and for the rest of his career as a Rainbow Warrior. Where do you see, you just mentioned the teams that I, I assume he was kind of prognosticating that those would be some of the teams around at the end. Um, anything has changed since the start of the season in terms of, you know, who is the very top? I mean, you, you you look at what UCLA brought back last year, and they they return everybody. For, they return everybody, but they're starting libero from last year's national championship team. And I think a lot of people may have felt that it was UCLA and everybody else. And yes, the Bruins have lost a couple of times this season. They've been having some issues with certain positions. But I think I think the big surprise has been a Grand Canyon. They're the only remaining undefeated team. In the country, uh, they got they ha- they're coming out here next week for the Outrigger, and they are the number one team in the country, and they might possibly be still undefeated, still number one when they come out a week from next, you know, a week from Wednesday to play in the Outrigger beginning on Thursday. I would expect. I understand baseball is, is at home against Rice, but I feel that with Hawaii and what could be a number one undefeated team in the country on that Friday against the Grand Canyon, you could be looking at very close to a sellout when you, when you bring in Grand Canyon, you throw in Lewis and you throw in UC Irvine on that Sunday to wrap up the outrigger. You could be looking at a, a tournament with three of the top five, maybe top six teams in the country. Wow. That, that's impressive stuff. So I, you know, I do think that, it doesn't sound like you would rule out Hawaii from another run at a national title this year. I think what helps Hawaii is having the conference tournament at, at, at home this year. And I, and I think what has been the main, one of the small problems and one of the small blips for what Hawaii has been able to do this last you know eight, nine years or so has been the inability to win at Long Beach. And I think for... Hawaii opening up conference play on the road at Long Beach. That's going to be a very big, big hole. Not so much a big hole, but a big dot on the schedule to see where Hawaii sits in terms of the conference, just because they got to go to Long Beach to open up the season, return home for, for CSUN and Santa Barbara, and then they're back on the road at UC Irvine. But the two of the top teams in the conference, they have to play on the road at, and you would like to see Hawaii at worst split go two and two if you could go three and one that'd be awesome if that if you could go four and oh that'd be that'd be very great but i think for hawaii to have the conference tournament at home and have the ability to play two possibly three nights in a row at home with a nearly sold out you know simplify arena in front of in front of that in front of the fan base to possibly win 
the conference tournament get that automatic bid, I think having the conference tournament really helps Hawaii here this season just because of how arduous the road schedule is in terms of conference play with having to go to Long Beach and to UC Irvine. But a run to the Final Four, that's not out of the question. But again, you're going to have to win at least one match in a facility where you have traditionally struggled over the last decade at Long Beach State. Yeah, there's no denying that. On the other hand, they've struggled here. They have, and, and, I, and they have, and there, there's been times where, you know, they've, they've dropped a couple of sets, but I think for historically what they've been able to do, and, and, and since 2017, they're like 103-9 and nine or something ridiculous. They, they have been one of the top teams at home over the course of the last decade in the country, and they have proven that right there with Provo at BYU and right with Long Beach State and the Walter Pyramid, they have proven that this play, that, that playing in Hawaii – is one of the tougher road venues for opposing teams coming here. Yeah. No, no question. I, I remember that the you know, couple of years back, so hard, I lose track of time because I had a couple, you know, a little more than a year in Phoenix, but um, I remember bringing some friends to the UC Santa Barbara game. The place was sold out. My Our friends were from Australia. They couldn't believe it. They were like, this is, this is the most fantastic thing they'd ever seen. I have to think that even when some of the visiting teams come in, the Sacred Hearts and the Emanuels, they got to be thinking the same thing. They got to be really thinking, do. this is crazy here. They really do. And, and when, when you look at the landscape and you see, you know, players, when they mention what, is, what was their favorite moment of playing collegiate volleyball, and for a lot of these kids, it's, coming to Hawaii. It's coming to play in the stand, whether it's on the men's side or the women's side. And I think you look at a, you look at a second year, you look at a, five, a fifth year program in, in Tusculum. They came out here a couple of weeks ago and you look at the box score of their attendance for their matches this season. They had two matches where they had over 100. Everything else was in the double digits. So I think for them coming out here on a, on a, on a, on a Wednesday and Friday, or Thursday, Friday, excuse me, and, and, you, and you're seeing that number for what they see for a match, that's the number of people that are at minimum waiting just to get in the arena an hour and 15 minutes before first serve. So I think it, it opened up their eyes. They, you know, Everybody sees it, they hear about it, but once you step on the floor and you experience it for the first time, it, it's, it's, really, it's really something different and, and something unique. And I think for the fan experience, but also the playing experience, that also sets Hawaii apart from nearly everybody else in the country. It's so cool. It's so cool to see the you know the fans come out holding up the signs, cheering for every point. I mean, it's really fun. Hopefully, it'll be just as much fun uh, tomorrow night because it'll be brand new uh, for Sacred Heart. No question about that. Tiff, thanks so much for getting up early this morning. Appreciate you. Anytime, Bobby. Have a good one. Tiff Wells, a veteran and, dare I say, as good a volleyball play-by-play announcer as there is in the entire country. 33 minutes past the hour. Let's take a quick timeout. We'll be right back on the Bobby Curran Show, ESPN, Honolulu.
Welcome back on a Thursday game night for UH men's basketball on the road. The Rainbow Wahine are home. Um, it's going to be tough for them to match their last attendance. But it's funny, UC Davis is now trying to do what the Rainbow Wahine did, which is on their last home game, come up with a big, big number. And this is their last home game at UC Davis. So they're itching uh, to put a lot of fans in in the stands. And uh, after having been dealt with rather unceremoniously uh, by the Rainbow Warriors at home, 87-70 to 70 on the team that came in, I think at number still was number two in the conference. Well, that's no longer true, even though they're still good. Um, they're, I think they're still ranked about third or fourth and, uh, and ahead of the uh, Rainbow Warriors. So they would be, I, I'm assuming, I don't have my uh, star advertiser uh, with me in, in hard copy, which makes it easy to look up the lines and all that, but I would guess Hawaii would be an underdog on the road. Don't know exactly. Tennessee, see if you can find that in the paper. If you can find where, who's the favorite in that game tonight. And I think it'll be in there somewhere. And I'm taking a look at all the, the fun stuff today. And, and, you know, this is the this is the good stuff. And when you see the rainbow teams. Now, listen, I expect the Hawaii baseball team to beat UH Hilo more times than not. I mean, if they play, if they played five times, I'd expect Hawaii to win four. I just think they, the talent level is different, and they play a better schedule, all that. So they, and but that I'll tell you what, the Vulcans stayed right with uh, the Rainbow Warriors last night uh, for a good bit, which was interesting. And so then the Bows. Scored 14 runs in the final four innings. They are now, uh, let's see, what, 15, I'm trying to think, in this series between these two teams, 115 and 21. So clearly the advantage has always been clearly with the with the big boys across the pond. Then And, you know, Hawaii wins most of these. That, that's the way it's going to be. But it's not that the uh, Vulcans don't put up a fight because they were right in that game. I mean, uh, they Bows went out in front, one nothing, uh, without a hit in the second inning. Uh, Matthew Miura drew a walk and then stole second and third. And then after Sean, uh, Sean Rimmer was hit by a pitch, Jake uh, Sukata put down a bunt as Miura raced home on the safety squeeze. I mean, that, those are beautiful things to watch. Um, I But they hung in. It was 1-1, I want to say, through the fourth inning. I was listening a little bit and uh, and catching that. And I thought Scott Robs was filling in for Josh and was enjoying listening to him. Uh, it was cool. And uh, they did a nice job. And you couldn't say otherwise um, that they took care of business. And that's that's pretty good. Uh, to to win big like that, and uh, you know after especially after a tough series uh, against uh, North Carolina State, I I, thought, I felt that they did did a pretty good job uh, in that in that outing. We got a couple other things to talk about today, and uh, 
because UH baseball will be uh, again in action this weekend. And that's going to be interesting. As Tiff said, was saying about volleyball, they said, well, you know, I don't know what it'll be like because you've got baseball at the same time. Didn't they used to? It seemed to me that they used to primarily, if UH basketball or volleyball was playing on a Saturday night, that baseball would play in the day. They don't do that anymore. I don't know why. It seems to me that that made a lot of sense because then the hardcore Hawaii fans could actually see both games. And now that's not possible unless unless one's on TV and you've got a little uh, portable device. uh, Then you can do it. But uh, for the average person, they're going to be needing separate times and to really concentrate on the games, I think you probably want to do that anyway. It's uh, 208 296 And believe me, I think there's a different situation when you're talking about uh, growing the games and playing children of lesser gods like in volleyball. And I think others, other teams in the conference need to share it. They need to do some of that too. Uh, if, if we're really going to accomplish that and not put all the... Listen, it's not as much of a treat probably to go to play at, say, BYU as it you know as it would be here. It, listen, all these West Coast conferences that are so strong, I, th- I just think it's not as, not as much fun probably as it is to come here. But that doesn't mean Hawaii should be the only team that has to do it. But I do believe differently about the Division II teams here. I think that I think it's great that Hawaii plays them. I think they need to do that. And what almost some places, I think it's a state law that they have to do it. I'm trying to remember where, but I remember reading it's a state law in one place. They have to play some of the the Division Twos in their states uh, if they're big. If if they're the big shots, and I think that's really they owe it to them. That's the way to give them a, a sense of, you know, the big time. And why not? Why wouldn't you do that? And uh, so I and I know from having talked to some of the other coaches and when uh, uh, when the who was Ken Wilson at BYU uh, when he was uh, still coaching when they had a basketball program he really loved when they Hawaii would play them he appreciated it. And I think that's been true pretty much ever since. And uh, certainly, uh, when Chaminade gets a chance, they're very appreciative to play. I, and I get that because it's a way to get for them to gauge where they're at and get better. And I think that's appropriate. But I think you want to, you have to, because of uh, NCAA fiat, you have to kind of limit that because it affects your your rank, your, it affects your win total because they'll only count so many of those towards your know, wins at your level. Uh, you know, now already they're getting all crazy with, oh, that's a quad one win and a quad two win. And, you know, you're going to get killed on that if you do a steady diet of it. It's going to be, I think, uh, it's going to be very similar to how it's been in previous years. I expect the Big West in basketball to be a one-bid league. I think there's almost no chance that it would be other than that. And I, I keep thinking, what is it going to take? Well, I think it's going to take playing a really big-time schedule and winning some of the games. 
you're going to have to win some games if you're ever going to get back to a two-bid league or a three-bid league, that kind of thing. And a lot of people think it's impossible. They think it's just, it's changed and it's changed for good. And that some, especially the transfer portal, the uh, name, image, likeness uh, deal has changed it so much that it may never go back. And perhaps. So what do you do? You do the best you can with what you have and you put as all the resources that you can f afford into that and I think what we've seen is some upsets because some of the teams are doing quite well, especially the teams that don't get kicked around by the transfer portal. They've done pretty well in some of these crossover games. And you can bet that the big coaches, the big quad one teams, they hate it when they get upset. That's, they start to imagine ways they can uh, avoid those games. But I don't think they should be allowed to. That's my take on it. Uh, we've got uh, we got a few minutes left here. If you have something you want to chat about, uh, we're going to have uh, Rich Miano on tomorrow. We're going to talk about the quarterback situation in the NFL. And it's funny because it's appearing now that Justin Fields of the Chicago Bears is going to be the trigger for a lot of things. So what other people are going to do might be predicated on what the Bears do. And right now, it appears, if reading between the tea leaves, it appears that Justin Fields is gone, that he's going somewhere else. Um, that's fine. But, boy, is that a risky thing for a GM. Can you imagine if they trade, say, oh, I don't know, to the maybe Atlanta Falcons, let's just say, for example, they trade him there, and and then they draft Caleb Williams, and Williams struggles, and Justin Fields suddenly finds it. If that happens, you know, I, I, I hate to say it, but I think the GM's probably gone because it's like you, you make that call, but you also live with the consequences. And it's happened before. We know this. In fact, I don't think anybody could be feeling too good if you drafted Bryce Young over C.J. Stroud, because there's not that's not that one doesn't appear to be close. Bryce, uh, Bryce does seem Bryce Young does seem to be frail, um, and that's what they're saying about Jaden Daniels. But am I wrong? Isn't Jaden Daniels like six three or four? I think he's light, but he's he's a lot taller than Bryce Young. I, that's my, my sense of it. I have to, I'm going to confirm that in a minute, but I think that's what the deal is. And I think when you get to that stage, you can possibly adjust that. You don't have to stay that lean, and many people in their 20s do start to put on weight. But I would suggest that would be a good idea for him because he's, uh, uh, you know, Jaden... Uh, Daniels is not a big, big. The only guy that really fits the whole deal, I think, is Caleb Williams. I think you'd get grief if you took, uh, the if you took the North Carolina kid. That's I mean, uh, uh, Drake May. I think you'd be in trouble if you took him, and he didn't. And he didn't work out. You'd, people would be saying, if you had a chance, 
add Caleb Williams. I mean, you're not going to get crushed for taking him if he doesn't work out because everybody was taking him. Let's face it. That's just how it is. Should we take a time out? I guess I have to. We will be right back. Get a question ready if you have something on the NFL draft for Rich Miano tomorrow. I'll remember it. We'll be right back on the Bobby Curran Show, ESPN, Honolulu. Welcome back uh, to this game day Thursday edition of the program. The tip-off will be at 5 o'clock in, uh, in U- at UC Davis t- this afternoon. And I, I, I'm worried about this game, I don't mind saying, because I do think this is a pretty good team. It's a well-coached team. It has arguably the best player in the conference in Elijah Pepper. I do think there's a good chance that Justin McCoy makes first-team all-conference. I, I think that's probably as likely as not. He's, I know, talking to other uh, people from other schools, that they're, they, everybody regards Justin McCoy as one of the toughest covers in the league. He has, he's remarkably versatile and, good, and, and a good shooter for his size. That makes him tough t- to cover. And nobody has done a great job of it lately. He's averaging about 19 points a game in the re, in, in the most recent games. So I actually think he's a, he's a pretty good ch- chance of being a, a first-team all-conference player. He's not quite Noah Allen. Remember Noah Allen that transferred from UCLA? But he's similar in this. He was he didn't play much at either Virginia or North Carolina. He was just playing behind better guys. He was playing behind four and five stars. And he is a late bloomer. So I actually think he's probably better than some of those guys are now that were recruited or rated ahead of him at their respective, at those respective schools. But, but he's come on and he's gotten stronger and he's a better shooter than he was and he's also more versatile on his going to the hoop. So I, to me, that that seems like he's sort of uh, he's sort of Hawaii's Elijah Pepper in terms of being a tough cover. I would say Noel Coleman's a tough second, a tough second choice on that. But and now the addition of Juan Munoz has been huge. And then you got a couple of role players uh, lumped in there, and you know Tom Beatty and Ryan Rapp. This is. This is a pretty good, good Hawaii basketball team. So I'm looking forward to it. Josh will be on the call this afternoon. And uh, let's uh, welcome in pretty soon now the sports animals. Chris and Gary are on the call. We'll, with, uh, they got Charlie Wade on today. We'll be count. Uh, what do they call it? Point counterpoint. That will do it. For, thanks to Tanner Hayworth. From all of us, I'm Bobby Curran. Aloha.